episode number 20 of the Where Else Would You Rather Be podcast. I'm Brett Loftus, and this is going to start a journey that we're going to have here on the Where Else Would You Rather Be podcast as we begin to take my journey through the Northwoods League. There was a lot of people who impacted me this past summer and a lot of people who continue to impact my life that I share friendships with, both baseball-related and non-baseball-related, broadcasting and otherwise. And, well, this first guest that we're going to have on here, we had Caden Favors on the podcast earlier in our earlier episodes, but this guy that I share a deeper connection with today because he played in the Northwoods League. He's also a D3 guy. He's also a guy that's going to get drafted in July, contrary to whatever he says. One of the best third basemen, I think, in Division One baseball right now, Mr. Kill. Chattel, or as I used to call him at Piedmont before he corrected me, Chattel. That's right, you did. You used to call me that. Kale, we're happy to have Kale here today. He's a former LaGrange College Panther for four years. He played in Wisconsin Rapids last summer, which is where he and I got fairly close. And then now he's at High Point University tearing it up. I got his, Kale, I screenshotted your stats this morning just so I would have them pulled up. Um, we know Kale is just extremely humble. Some people may disagree with that, but uh, Kale, in his time at LaGrange, had an incredible career, uh, hit 310 as a freshman. COVID year, everybody had a down year that year, and then came out in 21. Eight homers, hit 365 that year. Uh, played in the Northwoods League two different summers. Also played up in the – remind me of the other summer league you played in in 2021. I played in the uh, Great Lakes League. Played up there as well, and then played at LaGrange, obviously, 2022 to finish out his undergrad, where he hit 378, which is just ridiculous. Uh, played in the Northwoods League again, and then so far at High Point, his first and will be his lone season as a Division One player. Six homers and batting 329. So, Kale, what I don't understand is, and what my first question was going to be to you, is that how does one go throughout his D3 career? I know you hit eight homers in 21, but – You've already hit six this season. That would be that's your second most in a single season in your college baseball career, and you're playing Division One baseball. Obviously, facing a bit stiffer competition. How is that? How do you think that's transitioned over? Have you put more weight on? Have you just seen the ball better? Like, how have you already basically boosted your power numbers so early? Uh, I would say a lot of it does come from you know the pitchers. They're throwing a lot harder. Uh, I'm not playing at a graveyard anymore, which really helps playing at a park where the ball flies like it's supposed to. Uh, another thing, I have put on a little weight, um, sitting around 200 pounds at LaGrange. I was around 190 to 195. But I think, you know, all that's factored in, um, getting, you know, better in my swing every day and just making sure that, you know, to top shape because I have to be. I'm not, you know, someone behind me is going to take my spot. And, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing is all those things combined – have helped me become a better player and have, you know, pushed me to boost my power numbers since that's what that's what they wanted me to do. So let's let's retract a little bit. So obviously we're going to cover all bases with you here today, but the, the two biggest things I want to ask you about that to start off. Also want to ask you about your four years at LaGrange. Obviously you're one of the best players in D3 during that time, um, along with, you know, some of our other good friends, Carter Ballstadt, McKinley Irves, Joe Ruth, a lot of friends of the podcast. So when you look at all those guys and, you know, two of those guys being your teammates, the other one being a, a foe on my side at Piedmont, you go through those four years, you're seeing that kind of talent. And then, obviously, with the COVID year, you had a chance to go on and transfer. What were you looking in as a college? Obviously, it was going to be D1 because you had Division One talent. Everybody saw that. But 
it was going to be D1, but what else were you looking for to continue your athletic and academic career for one more year? So I was really, really focused on who's going to set me up, you know, to make that next jump. Next jump would obviously be pro ball and finding someone who wanted me, wanted me for me. That's probably the biggest thing that I've heard throughout my, uh, throughout my years with all my friends who have played college ball is go somewhere that wants you. If they don't want you, they're not going to give you the opportunity, even if you are struggling. They're just going to give you that one opportunity. You struggle. We'll see you. You know, you're going to set the bench, and then you're not going to get that next opportunity until, you know, maybe a month later. So finding a place that wanted me and was very interested in what I had to offer, and it felt like home at a high point when I'm, uh, I wasn't able to take any visits because we were making, you know, our run uh, through conference tournament, which is when I actually committed. And then, you know, make our uh, run to the College World Series. But I could just tell on the phone, like, hey, this guy really wants me. He likes what I have to offer. He's not going to just give me one opportunity. He's going to give me multiple. And he's going to let me run with it and let me be my own player. And he said that multiple times. It's like, hey, you do what you do best. Like, if you do that, you're going to do great for this team. And you're going to help us uh, go to the next level, which is win that Big South Championship. What was you think the difference in being recruited by High Point versus being recruited by LaGrange at a high school? So I had an injury uh, going into the big summer that everyone gets recruited in high school. So I wasn't really able to play. I was all I was able to do was pitch because um, it really Im impacted my swing. So I didn't have that many looks going into that because I wasn't able to play. But with all the numbers I put up at LaGrange and in the Northwoods and in the Great Lakes uh, League, I was able to put that out there and be like, hey, here's here's what I can do. I've done it on the big stage because um, the one the one that I love to refer to is I hit a grand slam against the eventual national champions of Salisbury in 21 at the High Point Rockers Stadium, which is five minutes from where I live right now. So and they were able to see that. And a lot of schools even saw that. They said, hey, like, we're interested. Um, let us know what you think and get back to us. So that was the biggest thing was uh, being able to perform on the big stage against big names and like really good teams. A lot of stuff to unpack here, but my first thing I want to unpack is you're not pitching at high point or you haven't yet at least. And, you know, you and I, for those who don't know, Kale was my bus buddy in Wisconsin Raptors, sat right behind me and we picked each other's brain every day. And for a broadcaster, I'd like to think I got a pretty okay baseball IQ and we talk a lot of stuff, a lot about hitting, a little bit about pitching. Well, I didn't have to talk too much to Kale about pitching because he didn't struggle. I was looking at your stats. I didn't, you know, I know you remember this. I didn't know that you didn't give up a run last summer. Six innings, scoreless, and four mm -hmm. appearances. Um, I, I mean, it was, I, I had to go back because I remember, well, he didn't have a bad outing. So, I guess, uh, obviously, he didn't give up a run. Do you, would you want to be pitching, or is that something that's been in the talks? Or I mean, obviously, you're hitting well over 306 bombs. You're doing what you need to do at the dish. Kind of talk us through that as you made the transition to D1. So I pitched this fall. I did. I did well. Um, in my fall meeting, they said, hey, we need you more. We need you more in the field. We need you more hitting, doing all that stuff. But if the situation comes up, like, don't be, don't be shocked. So it's uh, more of it's more of in the back pocket kind of thing of, yeah, I can do it, but we need you to do this more. Absolutely. And you made a couple defensive gems down there at the third, but what you've done even more and what I really wanted to ask you about, 
obviously I love Coach David Kelt. He's probably, other than, you know, my my good friend, my coach at Piedmont, Coach Justin Scaley, he's probably one of my favorite coaches that we played against in my time. Awesome guy. Um, a great Twitter follow as well for all those out there. He would always get mad at you guys if you pimped a home run, if you – obviously, if you didn't play the game the quote-unquote right way. Uh, he even got mad at you, and you can tell – I'll let you tell the story if you want about in Wisconsin Rapids when he thought you pimped the ball, but it was actually Kyle Teal. What I wanted to ask you about is there was a big homer you hit, I don't know, two or three weeks ago now at High Point. And, I mean, it went, what, I think you told me it went 450 or something. And, I mean, let's be honest, you, you threw your bat back in the dugout. Did Kelton yeah. send you a text after that, or was there any discussion? He did not. Okay. He didn't send me a text about that one. So, the, the big difference with this one is Coach, Coach Hammond is big. He's big about it. He's like, yo, play with a lot of energy. You know, if you hit it and you know it, do whatever you want. He came from Wake Forest. And okay. They can they can hit they can swing it well and he was all for it so that's where his background comes from and uh, why he likes it so much. So what is what is your deal? Because you and I you talked about this you shared this quote with me a couple weeks ago when we were talking you said Brett the game knows if you play the right way or not and it will end up rewarding you. So obviously mm-hmm. is that kind of something as as a player you take as a a team ordeal like obviously if a manager orders you one way or the other is that kind of how you dictate how you're going to play? Yeah, you got you got to play with uh, you know who's who's at the helm. So it's not just pleasing them. It's hey, like this is how he wants me to play. This is he knows a lot. He played professionally, played in the Phillies organization, the Orioles organization. He he knows what he's talking about. It's follow him, and you should be rewarded. It's play play the game how they want you to play, and like I said, you're gonna get rewarded because everyone knows you're gonna hit your five line drives right at someone, you know, you're going to crush it like 110 off the bat. And then you're going to get that broken bat, that one right off the end that just squeaks through, and then boom, you're back into the game. All right, Kale. I want to take us back to the first interaction we had, which was not actually in person. We're going to cut it up. We're going to put it on Instagram. We're going to put it on Twitter for all you guys. There was something that you always made fun of me of, other than me mispronouncing your last name. Um, and something that if you follow me on Instagram and you see me now share some of Kale's plays, you may pick up on the word wallet. And I've, I've asked you about it, obviously, off camera, but now i got to ask you about it on camera. You Piedmont in this game, if I remember correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you guys got out to like a 9-2 lead or something. Piedmont came back in like the middle innings down by two. And I forget if it was a solo bomb, two-run bomb, I forget. But basically, you just absolutely crushed this ball over the trees at Piedmont. And <laughs> I said that Kill Chatham has walloped one out of the yard or whatever I said at Louder Milk Field, which pretty much was a dagger that day. So when you heard that, you heard me kind of give us our first impression. That was really our first interaction between broadcast and on the field. Yep, yep. So actually – my mom's the one who really loved it. And she's like, Oh man, that's, that's so cool. Like, that's so funny. Like it's very interactive. It showed how personal you were and it just stuck out. It was different. Everyone, it was like a catchphrase that made you sep- uh, separate you from everyone else who was doing broadcast for LaGrange, Piedmont, all the other schools that we'd be playing in the conference. It made you stand out and made it very memorable. And it was also a very memorable season. Not, not just for myself, but, 
for everyone else on the team as well. Yeah, that was a great year for you guys, 2021. 2022 is even better as far as you guys making it to the college world, the D3 College World Series. Uh, you know, looking at 2021 was the only year I ever got to broadcast uh, LaGrange um, because when you look at 2022, Piedmont went to LaGrange. LaGrange did not come to Demers that year. So only year we got to interact. Now moving on to the 22 season, um, it, was a, it was obviously a great year on the field, but it was something that I think a program – hardly ever has to deal with, you need a strong group of guys to deal with, which you guys did. I was actually sitting in Green Bay. I had just made myself up to Wisconsin. I got a text from a Piedmont student telling me about the tragic incident that you guys had where you lost two of your guys. And I remember thinking, because you guys had just won the conference, and I, and mm -hmm. I knew how good you guys were. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know if they're going to continue their season. And I was moving to Wisconsin Rapids, and – I text Joe Ruth. I text uh, – I didn't know you at the time, or McKinley. Uh, obviously, guys, Tanner Chafin, guys that I would come to know, but I didn't know you guys at the time. I only know Joe. And I text Joe and um, just saw the outpouring of love on Twitter. But I didn't know if you guys were going to continue to play. Obviously, you guys continue to play. You won your regional, won your super regional, got to the D3 College World Series. For you, Kale, to go through that with that group of guys – to be able to make it as far as you did, even after something, I mean, literally very few programs have ever had to deal with in any sports. How was that moving forward? And how do you think that has maybe affected playing the game even for you today and moving in the future? I mean, it affected me to where life's short. You know, you got to play every game with passion and the fire because who knows, maybe, maybe it is your last game. You don't know it. Because it, it was a 12-hour swing when we found out. It was we won. We won at, like, 3 o'clock. We found out at, like, 2 a.m. So, 12-hour swing of, hey, we just won our fifth straight title. 12 hours later, two of our teammates. We'll never get to see them again. So, it actually brought us together because we all came together saying, hey, like, we got to play with like that passion that they had because those, those guys, Barton Brownie, they played with a passion like no one else did. It was, it was quite impressive. Like being 18, 19 years old, coming into an established program and they were big parts of us. Bart was our, he was our Sunday guy. Brown was our first guy out of the pen. He was our long reliever. And to come in at 18, 19 years old to that program and play with the passion of, Hey, like I'm going to do my part. I don't need to do anything extra. We got older guys who have been in this program who know what it's like. Let me just do my role because I know my time will come. So it's playing with that passion has really stuck out. And you can see even you can see it like to this day still. Even not not just with me, but with everyone else who was on that team of play with this passion because you never know when when that last one's gonna be. And it just really emphasized it. And, you know, I actually – you speak of guys that are still stuck with them. Uh, Bailey Coleman, which is a guy mm -hmm. that I've started interacting with over Twitter, really cool guy. And I actually followed him earlier today, and he posted about how much he was missing those guys today. And, you know, private conversations I won't share that you and I have had and some of your teammates, former teammates at LaGrange, talk about those guys and how special they were as human beings. And just, just for me, like it was something that kind of made me emotional even when you guys made it because – like I said, I, I, and I've told you this for years now, when you guys would beat the hound out of us, and y'all did when I was at Piedmont, it could have nothing but respect for that program. And 
after seeing that and what you guys did, uh, LaGrange fully has nothing but my respect um, forever. And and seeing that group of guys and that group of team even continue what they're doing now. I mean, McKinley now at D1, Tanner Chafe in D1, you're D1, guys that are tearing it up at that next level um, just speaks to the character of that. All right. So now the, the, the time that we became close is our time in the Northwoods. So mm-hmm. you – Obviously played summer ball 21, played in two different leagues, including the mm-hmm. Northwoods League. Go on, have the year you have in 22, both on the mound and at the plate at LaGrange. You come back, you took the first half of the summer off, didn't really do too much, obviously trying to get everything settled in with high point. Then you come up to Wisconsin Rapids. What were you expecting for yourself coming up there and kind of what did you have in mind after already being up there the summer before in 2021? So actually the reason why I didn't play summer ball the first half is because I was recovering from uh, I broke my toe in March. I actually just popped up on my uh, on my Snapchat of where I broke my toe and the doctor said, you can keep playing on it. It's just going to hurt really bad. So it's like, all right, it's my last year here. I'm going to give it all I got. Uh, so I continued to play on it. And then after talking with Coach Hammond, he said, hey, like take the first half of summer off you know, relax, you just played a lot of games, let that thing heal up. So then you can be ready to go full time for the, for the fall because fall is no joke. So when I went back up to the Northwoods, I expected, you know, get a little playing time, you know, get some live at bats, you know, get a feel for everything for be like, all right, this is my new reality. Uh, these are the guys I'm going to see day in and day out. Velo defense, all of it. And, you know, that first AB, I was I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of nervous. And, you know, after after that, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, that second AB was pretty good. I remember that second AB. I don't know if you do or not. I I remember the first one, too. The first (laughs) one was the one where I hit off off the compass sign. Yeah, that was – At Wausau. Because we we were in uh, game one of doubleheader. And those doubleheaders are no joke in the Northwoods League. No joke. Like, especially if you play a back-to-back doubleheader. Were you Mm -hmm. with us when we were in Fondy on that back-to-back doubleheader? I was not. I, was, had, I, fl- I flew in later that week. That was – that was, and I love baseball. I love broadcast as much as anybody. Um, no offense to Fond du Lac, good people there. But they put the opposing radio guy in what I like to call vacuum hole. So if you take me right now, you're looking at me on this frame, right? And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, think of like uh, – think about how broad you are and then add about six inches on either side. And that's about the width of sitting in this booth. Not only that, you're sitting, that's the same size of your desk, which I have all my radio equipment, my notes, and everything else on my computer. And then I have a window that you cannot open. So no fresh oxygen coming in your face. And then on top of that, the cameraman for their TV production is standing right there in front of you. It's almost impossible to broadcast a game there. We did 14 innings. It did seven and seven that day. When I tell you I wanted to cry when we got done, I was so happy. That was also a day we got a little controversy sparked with Fond du Lac when our good friend Andrew Soika, um, he's having a good year at CSUN, but uh, he became an enemy number one of the Wisconsin Rapids Raptors that day. But that's no here nor there. So then this Wausau, back to this Wausau story. We're in Wausau, and Kale's pinch hit. I think he pinch hit, what, eighth or ninth inning? Something like that. It was later in the game. Yeah, we had it. We had the game well intact because mm-hmm. game one is where uh, Nate hit. What Nate had like a three run homer. He had like mm-hmm. a two run double. Like he killed it that day. Nate Nankill. So you come up, 
And I think you worked the count to 2-1. Uh, yeah, two hundred, two hundred, three, one. Was one. Yeah, of those. I knew you were ahead, and I don't think I don't think you had swung it yet. And mm-hmm. uh, what did what did he throw? You take me from the rest of that bat there. He uh, he threw me an inside fastball, and turned on you know, it. Re- yeah, react. You know, reactions take over, and turned on it, hit it, ran out of the box, and I was like, oh wow, that ball's the ball's really going. I, and then I all was... of a sudden, I see it hit the compass sign, and I go, "There's no way that's part of the fence." <laughs> I could I couldn't remember what the rule was because you know you know how Wausau is they got all those ads across yes. the wall and behind it so I couldn't remember if the compass sign was over the wall or if it was a part of the wall so I hit first base and I'm sprinting and then I see the, the second base umpire doing the home run signal it's like all right cool you know that makes makes feel a little better I just I just remember when you hit it and I'm like no way he just hit like first swing of the summer basically just turned on it and all run. And then remember we took the bus ride to a uh, gas station in between games. Oh, good and, old quick uh, trip. Good old quick trip in the North was like, and I said, Kale, why'd you keep running so fast? You said, I didn't know if it was gone. I said, you didn't know if it was gone. I said, it hit a billboard. <laughs> you said, Brad, I, I just, I just heard a loud thump. You said, I just put my head down and started running. And so anyway, that was the, the, the start of that. But in the North was like, man, that's, it, it's a different type of grind. And oh, that's yeah. something that I I think prepared me for any job I will ever have. You mm-hmm. know, I'm telling as I and we'll speak to it from a player standpoint too. It's something I'll talk about a lot, and I have talked about a lot. I ended up doing 77 broadcasts in 81 days. I had four days off. Four days off the entire summer. One of those was spent going to a Rafters event, uh, working with players and fans. One of those was spent hanging out with my mom and my dad. The other was spent hanging out with the other interns. And the other day was spent doing the all-star stuff. So really didn't have to. I mean, it was no stopping and such a grind. uh, But you wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, sincerely would not trade it for anything. I know it's prepared me for now what I'm doing up here working for Back Sports. um, Because we we had, you know, 10 games in four days. And everybody's like, yeah, it's a grind. I'm like, well, this isn't an Northwoods League. Like, at least we get Wednesday off in the middle of the week. You know what I mean? It's like I can guarantee this is this is my day off, and I can plan for this day. <laughs> yeah, you can't. And, and as a player, that's what I was going to say. God love him. He will tell you this, mm-hmm. too. I'm not telling you anything you wouldn't know. Kurt Schreider does not share that lineup card with you until about 30 minutes before first pitch. So you that's really right. don't know if you're playing today or you're not. He does that, though, which I get to met the behind the madness. He wants you – to prepare as if you're going to play that day and right. always have that mindset, which is a good mindset to have. Kirk, former scout, obviously knows what he's doing. So with you, how were your approach – was your approach going? Because you could be a guy, okay, Kale, you're going to start at third today and seventh inning you're going to get a defensive replacement because you got to warm up in the bullpen. It was a very different approach for you down that stretch there. Yeah, so I knew once line card was posted – if I was DH in it was, all right, I'm going to go down to the pen about the sixth, seventh inning, get loose. Um, but it was always, always be ready to hit. That was always my thing. It was be ready to hit. And depending on the day, whichever one we need you more for is what we're going to use you for, whether it's defense, on the mound, whatever. So it was just always, all right, got to keep, got to keep my body ready for, for that. So what was your, 
favorite moment that we had in the Northwoods League either summer um, playing with the Rafters? Favorite moment? I know what mine probably is for the, you. Mine was probably being a part of the no-hitter. I got the last out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, actually, I actually got two ground balls that inning. And one of them had me a little nervous because that kid was running out of the box and he could he could move. So I had really had to get get the ball there. Uh, that was probably my favorite moment, just being part of a uh, historical event for not just the community, but for the team. And it was a lot of fun. My favorite memory of you last summer was those extra innings you pitched when you faced six batters and struck out five of them. I think I might have broken the headset that night because you got that last strikeout in, what was it, 10th, and mm-hmm. I went absolutely bonkers. But, yeah, that that was a summer, man. I, I think the Northwoods League, and we don't talk about this enough, is the camaraderie. Like, mm-hmm. we still all talk to each other. We still all keep up with each other. Kel and I talk every single day. Um, looking back on it, like you're in the middle of a grind, you might be hurting, you might complain, you might whatever that day. But looking back on it, man, it was such um, an amazing time, especially sitting on those buses where Kale would tap me on my shoulder and say, Brett, what are you doing on 3-1 last night when I was looking at? And I would go, what? And I would be like listening to music or whatever else, reading a book, you know, and he'd be like, what, what were you thinking there on 3-1 last night? I would go, well, um, probably going to look for a fastball up and away if I'm if I'm you. You'll say, well, then he threw me a changeup. And I'm like, well, Kale, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for here. That's why you're in the box and I'm up there. I don't I don't know. But those 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 buses, man, it's fun, fun times. Uh, Kale, how is we talk about the Northwoods League again? How has that again helped you transfer over this year um, into your your season at High Point? Uh, it helped me out a lot. You know, it really kept me in stride, especially because, you know, the velo. Velo is probably the biggest difference that, uh, that I've noticed with go- going from D3 to D1 is everyone throws 90. Everyone. Like, we played a weekend series at Alabama, and they're just rolling out guys. Easiest 92, easy 95. Like, well, okay. So being able to see that for the last half of the summer really helped me, and it even helped me into my fall. To where I didn't break a stride. It was I hit like 380 in the fall, hit like five home runs, and it was able to just keep me in check of hey, this is what you're gonna see. Get used to it. If you don't get used to it, you're gonna get left behind. And I didn't really want to get left behind because I was like, all right, it's one of my last years. If I want to make the jump, this is what it's gonna be. Talk about the jump. That's what I want to talk about. We move forward here, the future. Your future and your life is going to be turned on its head, good or bad, in the coming months. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you've made a name for yourself playing in the Big South, what you've done. Um, you guys were playing where Lafayette a couple weeks ago, and they did a whole ESPN package on you. People are starting to know who Kel Chatham is. Obviously, if you didn't, you followed D3 Baseball, you already knew who you were. But now you're starting to make it at, at an even more national level. As you look forward and you look to the upcoming draft, what are kind of your goals, your expectations, maybe some things you don't want to dive into, but just kind of tell us what you're preparing for as we move up to the future and, and obviously obviously going to enter the draft. So I got a big – I got a couple, you know, games scheduled that I'm looking forward to because I know I got to perform for them. I really got to perform. 
Uh, we're supposed to face supposed to face a potential first rounder uh, at, at Campbell on Friday night uh, in the cu- upcoming weeks. So it's like, all right, there's going to be at least ten plus scouts there. We we're going through right now. We call it the ACC gauntlet. Uh, we played UNC last week. We got back from Virginia last night, and we play Wake Forest next Tuesday. So it's like, all right, there's going to be an easy eight plus scouts. Got to perform for these games. And if I do that, and you know, I do my thing in conference play, I should set myself up pretty well uh, for what potentially can come in July. And I think the biggest help that I've gotten from it is from the guys who uh, who I train with back home. Um, a couple of pro guys, they're like, "Hey, like this is how you handle this. This is how you go about it. This is how you calm yourself down when you feel like." you know, it's going too fast or when the ball's looking really small, this is how you handle that. That's how you reset yourself. Well, that's what I was going to ask because every guy's going to go through offensive struggles. Um, my, one of my favorite players, you know, this Chipper Jones, he would always go through about a two to three week stretch every summer where he couldn't hit anything. And he would always get his dad, fly his dad up to Atlanta. They would go through things and then Chipper would have a stretch where he hit 500 over a month. Right. He was a guy, though, that I look at as the epitome. If you want to struggle, this is how you want to struggle because you're going to struggle in baseball. Chipper would always go up there and put a, together a quality AB, which is some of the same qualities I see in you. When you had those weeks where you were struggling with Wisconsin Rapids, because, again, everybody's going to struggle. You still put together quality bats. You still do that at high point. There have been series, where I, and I've tried to watch you guys a lot, obviously, Fullerton, Irvine, Wichita State. A lot of those teams were – a lot of my, my, my boys are playing. When I watch you guys play, there have been games, obviously, you'll have an offer. It's going to happen. But you'll still go up there and see four to six, seven, eight pitches in that bat. How are you mentally preparing for, like you just said, kind of digging it out a little bit more of, Okay, I might have a bad game. The box score might reflect the one over four or two strikeouts. But if somebody's there watching me or if they watched it on TV, I'm still putting together quality ABs. How is that mentally? How, how do you mentally play into that and, and do that on a consistent basis? So, what I do is I'll, after the game, I'll reflect on it and be like, all right, what did I do my first AB? Swung at a bad pitch. That's fine. I saw five more pitches later. And later on, when he tried to come back to it, I didn't go for it. It was all right. I learned from my I learned from my mistake, and I was able to you know help out later in the year or later in the uh, game for it. Another thing that I like to do is I like to look for tendencies in the pitcher, so I can eliminate eliminate what's coming. So I can sit on it, you know, have a better idea. And if it's a really good pitch that they like to throw, I'll either I'll either leave it in the dirt or I'll hammer it. So. Like, for example, a lot of pitchers who hold the ball out, they have a tendency to pre-grip before they come sit. Whether they realize it or not, they do it. And I've noticed that throughout my years. And when I see that, it's like, all right, here it comes. Here comes the fastball. And if you, you actually look at my mouth when someone's doing that, I'm mouthing what's coming. So, and then, some, and then you know, once I get back and dug out, I'll let everyone know, hey, like, look for this. They'll help you. He's help tipping. You He's tipping. Yep. <laughs> you know, something we talked about this summer, kill a lot, something that really made me admire you as a hitter. And we talked about this. I was telling you stories about broadcasters I've talked to that will be up in the booth and they can't tell what pitch is coming. And 
you're like, well, that's kind of obvious. I'm like, yeah, I know. Especially watching it from above, you should be able to tell what pitch is coming. I sound kind of arrogant when I say that, but growing up with my dad, just able to do it so much. And then you made a comment to me. You said, well, all hitters should be able to, you know, tell what the pitch is and recognize the pitch. I said, well, I'm going to stop you right there because not all hitters, but really good hitters should be able to have pitch recognition, in which something that I think you recognize and you've done very, very well. Because you talked about this with me. Early on at LaGrange, you kind of struggled hitting some off speed, right? You've always been mm-hmm. able to stay on the fastball. You've always been able to stay on a, really a, a okay changeup because, let's face it, not too many guys at D3 have really elite changeups. But you told I can me, think of one who, who did, and he wore green and, green and gold. Well, I, I mean, Sam Carpenter. Hey, that's why he's a pitching coach now. Okay, that's yep. that's why he's a pitching coach. Also, shout out the Lions. They swept Emory last weekend. Um, Sam, Sammy Seek, he couldn't get Carter Ballstat back to back years, could he? But no, mm-hmm. Sam's a Sam's a great guy, man. And uh, Misha, as they call him, their ace they got in their rotation at Emory right now. Uh, very good guys. Also in the Northwoods League, Sam. Uh, Love Sam. He did have an elite changeup. But as we said, a really good changeup. He also had an elite curveball, which has he did. a lefty on lefty matchup. But it was, it was tough. Really struggle with that for you talking about that pitch recognition facing guys like Sam Carpenter, and how that's had to prepare you for pitch recognition, and now facing some of this elite nasty stuff you're facing at D1 level. Mm-hmm. No, it it has, and uh, I mean, it, you know, your brain's got to move a little faster because you know. Well, what was it? I think at Alabama we saw a guy throwing up to 97, and his changeup was like 85. I mean, it had some nice down downward movement. It's like, all right, my brain's got to, you know, move faster for that one, and I got to recognize it a lot faster. So it's being able to recognize that faster is probably the biggest difference. And, I mean, obviously some of the sliders and the curveballs that I'm seeing, it's unreal. Like our our Saturday guy, Gus Hughes. Wow, his curveball. Uh, it's elite. It's a it's a pro curveball. It it's so good that it will get him out of strikes. That that's how good it is. Umpires have a hard time calling it for strikes. They'll yeah. start at the top of the zone, and it ends up at the bottom of the zone. Those are call it. those are those old fashioned twelve to sixes that are impossible to hit is if they're placed right. And I, I guess that's when you look at like what you're talking about. Like you sent me a tweet earlier about Otani's slider. He threw trout to get him out to win the WBC. Right. 87. That's the, that's the kind of stuff that you're going to start facing. And obviously you've started to make those adjustments too, which is why obviously the transition period has been very, very minimal from you going D3 to D1. So covered the D3 transition, cover your time at your Grange. We've covered Wisconsin Rapids and now your early time at High Point and now your future as we continue to move forward. I told you before that we started recording, I said, Kale, this is a podcast hosted by me, but it's not only questions asked by me. I know you got Mm -hmm. something in that big baseball brain of yours you want to ask me. So I'm going to open the floor up to you. Uh, Probably what's, what's, uh, what's the baseball like up in the Dakotas? How's that different? from, you know, what you're used to seeing down here in the Southeast. We hadn't had any yet. That's the crazy thing. What's today? Time of this recording, March 22nd. They just started baseball and softball on March 20th, which would have been Monday. They just started practicing, practicing. Kel, I was talking to a baseball coach. We were at this region tournament a couple weeks ago, and he, he does radio, but he's also the baseball coach at the school he was broadcasting for. 
And he goes, yeah, you know, we're not going to start practicing. You know, guys are in open gym right now. We're not allowed to coach. I'm like, it's March. And he goes, yeah, yeah you know. And okay. Huh? Okay day. That's, yeah. Okay day in high school. That's that's tryouts. And and he was like, yeah, he was like, you know, we, we don't practice till March 20th. I said, you guys can't start practicing? He goes, yeah, you know, North Dakota State rules, we can't start practicing until March 20th. I said, well, when I was in high school, we could be on the field in October. And then yep. we couldn't be on the field in November. This is South Carolina now. Kel grew up in Atlanta. Couldn't be on the field in November. We could be on the field in December. Now, we could go to the field. Literally, nobody else could be there over Christmas break. So we go mm -hmm. hit BP, whatever else. And then January start, we could be on the field and we could practice and we could lift and do whatever else. And then technically official trials for us didn't start until February 1st because they tried to do it in line with basketball season. And then we would usually start scrimmaging around February 14th and our season would start March the 1st, somewhere around. But we had already been practicing for two months by the time the season started. And also got to thank South Carolina. We don't start school till like August 20th. So everything's pushed back a little bit. Now you guys, Y'all start playing baseball like what second week of February is when regular season starts, I think, in Georgia. Yeah, uh, so it would always be either the weekend before Valentine's Day or like that week of. Uh, we'd play a scrimmage. Usually for us, it was with Cal High School. Uh, we'd play them, and then that weekend, it's game on, first real game. Because you so guys usually did Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? We did. We did Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then sometimes we play on Saturday if there was a rain out during the week. Yeah, we, we had a very odd schedule. We could play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Like, we would play all these days, but pretty much play any day of the week except for Wednesday. Did play one Saturday game when I was in high school, which was very odd. It was one of, like, three games we won the whole year, my senior year, because we were not very good. But um, shout-out Clinton Baseball Program right now, though. They were the district champs last year, and they're ranked in top 25 by PBR in South Carolina right now. So – Program's really turned around since I left. No coincidence, I think. They got me out of there, and then the program's turned around. But um, Kale see me take BP. He knows what I mean. So, But it's really interesting to see <laughs> everything. Uh, that, was a, that was a fun day at Fondy. That was a fun day. That, that, see, those are those Northwood League stories we're talking about. I took BP a couple weeks ago indoor. Speaking of baseball in North Dakota, we had an off day, and there was like this multi-million dollar fitness center or whatever, and – we go in there. Actually, Wausau's broadcaster now up here, Jake Herman, he and I, um, we went to uh, to this big indoor facility playing basketball, and then they were like, yeah, we got this indoor uh, pitching machine. I was like, really? I was like, let me go in here. So, uh, yeah, we did a little soft toss. I must say I hit one about 450 dead center. Most of them were pop-outs to the pitcher, but, you know, you, you, you never know. But anyway. Yeah, it was uh, take BP from time to time. But, yeah, I guess what I was getting at there is I'm in the broadcast booth for a reason. I figured that one out. But, yeah, baseball uh, up here, obviously, we hasn't really got started too much. We, we're still trying to figure out, you know, what games we're going to be broadcasting. Um, Minot State, which is a D2 up here, they're pretty solid, pretty solid baseball. Um, they got to play inside a lot. And a lot of these local schools up here, whether it be Minnesota or North Dakota or South Dakota, they'll go and play at U.S. Bank where uh, the mm -hmm. Vikings play at. And, you know, they had that really big uh, tournament with Hawaii and Vanderbilt, Ole Miss a couple weeks ago. But they'll have like D2 and D3 stuff there as well. So um, I know hopefully be planning on doing some postseason baseball up here when June rolls around. But 
yeah, you know, not a whole lot going on for me right now, to be honest. Just kind of doing the podcast, sitting around, trying to, trying to, you know, think of ideas, do other stuff for for fall coming up. But as far as like broadcasting right now, no, not a whole lot going on. Hmm. I, I miss baseball though. Every time I, I bet you do. Every time I turn on the TV, man, and I'm watching High Point, or I'm watching some other team, or watching spring training, I'm just like, why can't I be broadcasting this right now? I'm, oh man, I am fiending to call some baseball. Good golly, I'm fiending, Kel Chatham. If you guys want to fly me down the High Point, I'm very much so open for the opportunity. Your guy, not that bad. I really enjoy listening to him. Not, I don't know the young man's name, but really enjoyed listening to him. He's been one of my favorites because I'll go watch Miami. I'll watch, I mean, pretty much anybody on ESPN+. Plus. I enjoy the guy mm-hmm. out there at Fullerton as well. Probably my two favorite guys I've listened to, Fullerton's guy and your guy at High Point. I, I've really enjoyed listening. Um, so that guy's actually our – he does most of the sports. He's also the basketball guy too. So really? He's working – yeah, he's working – all types of sports for the announcing. Well, you tell him that Brett Loftus, not that it would mean that much to him, but you tell him, big fan. I it, it, it gives an extra added value when you're not at bat for me not to turn it off so that I can I can watch and listen to him. I, I've really, really enjoyed that, man. And, and that's another thing, you know, watching all these different college baseball games, you see the talent on the field, but also see the talent in the booth. And, um, yeah, I've just really enjoyed listening to, to a lot of these different guys this year. Uh, really got into college baseball. I guess now that the absence of me not broadcasting college baseball anymore, uh, I watch the Piedmont games and I'm just sitting here and I'm just itching. To, oh man, opening day. I don't know about for you, like, cause you're, I mean, you're still playing. So next year mm-hmm. might be a little bit different, but right. for me, man, this year, it was an off day for us. I, I wasn't brought, I actually can't remember if I was broadcasting anything for back that night or not, but Piedmont opened up in California this year against Cal Lou. Mm-hmm. And yep. I'm itching, dude, because I'm like, like, I'm just like, oh, man, I, I wish I could be out there with him, like broadcasting. like, And I know the guy that broadcasts Cal Louie does a, ph- a phenomenal job, um, but uh, actually was texting me during the whole series about it. And then they went up there and they played in Kannapolis. And right. they had different, like, student broadcasters from all these different schools broadcast. And I'm just like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't have graduated in four years like anybody else. Had to had to leave early, you know. Could have had that opportunity, but yeah, had to be too smart. No, I'm not that smart. I just <laughs> uh, I just dual enrolled in high school, but uh, yeah, I I don't know, man. Itching itching to call some college baseballs. I guess is what I was getting at there. Watching Piedmont baseball and just different other guys, and I'm just like, oh man, why can't why can't a school just call me and be like, hey, we want you to come just freelance, do whatever. So if anybody's listening and you got some college baseball to call, let me know because. I love working it back, but we don't have a whole lot of baseball going on right now, um, which that's just, albeit, that's just the weather that comes with North Dakota, Kill. So, you know, it's March the 22nd. I can do that. March the 22nd. March the 22nd, right? Yesterday, March the 21st, obviously, it snowed. Yeah, no thanks. It that's snowed. It snowed. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here last night watching the WBC. They're playing in Miami. Right, and I look outside, and it's snowing, and I'm like, you know what? I love living here, love who I work for, but I don't, I cannot stand the snow, man. Head got back, dude. The 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 coldness, not that bad. Not what people make it out to be. I'm serious, Kale. It doesn't get bad till it gets like negative twenty. 
Mm-mm. I'm just, I'm, no. t- I'm telling you, people don't believe it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it, it doesn't get that bad. Dude, when I tell you I walk outside in shirts and a t-shirt in 10 degrees and feel fine. You're talking about a young man that grew up in South Carolina with school in Georgia, okay? That's who we're talking about right now. It's my first winter ever I've ever spent outside in Southeast. And you get adjusted. You really do get adjusted to it. You, you get adjusted. I'll take your word for it. I'm just telling you, Kel, you get adjusted to it. Now, as far as the snow, haven't got adjusted to that yet. Have, I won't want to Yeah, how, how's driving in that? Um, well, a little story for you, and then we'll close out everything. I have a two-wheel drive truck. I've had it since my senior year of high school. It's what my mom and dad got for me. Very appreciative of it. So I'm on the job interview. Um, and I'm like, you know, uh, got a two-wheel drive truck. Like, you guys see any issues with that? And they're like, no, you'll get, you'll be able to get through the winter. Okay. Back up. Come we'll up see here. about that. Back up. Come up here like October. Um, first two or three weeks. All good. You know, then we get like three foot of snow. Something stupid. It was like the second biggest blizzard ever hit Bismarck. I'm like, oh, you guys waited for me. How nice. So I can drive for like two weeks. Then it melt. Then it melts all around Thanksgiving, and I drive again. And then beginning of December, we get like three more feet, like the fifth largest blizzard of all time in history, Bismarck. So then I don't drive for a month. So I'm like Ubering back and forth to work. Because here's the thing. I live on an incline, like where my apartment is. So mm-hmm. I got stuck one night during that second snowstorm. I went to work after it had snowed, went, got some groceries, loaded down in the truck, man, driving back to my apartment. And I'm like, oh, the road does not look that nice tonight. I get to the hill, turn up the hill, make it about mm, halfway up. Truck says, uh-uh, player, Mm-mm, not going to happen. Put it in reverse. I said, okay, let's try this again. Get Go again, get about three quarters up the hill. Truck says, Mm-mm, nope, put it in reverse again. So I'm like, okay. Third time's got to be the charm. I'm like, Third let me go got to be the charm. Except it, that's what you would think, right? I go, I'm like, okay, let me look up this other hill. Very steep hill, right? Very steep hill. And I'm like, there's no way I'm getting up that. And if I try to go up that, I'm probably just going to slide back down and mess up my truck, right? So turn back around about a quarter mile back the other way to the other hill. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to send it because what's the worst that can happen, right? Right. Send it right into the snow. So my truck is sitting like front wheels in the front of my truck is stuck in the snow. And my back wheels are barely touching the ground. at this point. So I call my boss because who else am I going to call? It's like my third week. Or no, it's, I've been here for like a month at this point. Let's call him up. I'm like, hey, I'm stuck. Like, there's no getting out. Like, there, like I'm in like three foot of snow. Even if I had a four-wheel drive truck, I would have been stuck because I'm just embedded in the snow. He's like, all right, we'll send somebody. So nice neighbor I had comes down, and he's like, hey, man, you know, so he hooks up a ratchet strap, gets me stuck out of the snow. So we've, we've solved that problem, but we still have the big problem that I need to get up to my apartment. And so anyway, one of my great coworkers comes out there with his truck. He gets it about three quarter up the way of the hill. And then he's like, okay. And then his son, they pull me up the rest of the way. I was like, yeah, I'm not driving ever, ever in this stuff ever again in my truck. So thank God for Uber. Oh, thank yeah. God for some other people who are nice enough to give me rides and take me home and whatever else, but really Uber 
thank God for Uber. So, but yeah, we've been able to drive a pretty good bit now. All my coworkers make fun of me and call me a meteorologist because I always have my eye tapped on the weather up here. So I, I believe it. So yeah, but you know me, Kill. Always, always got to be intuitive. But anyway, that's uh, that's I guess that's our story of the podcast. But we got to talk to Kale Chatham, everyone, uh, third baseman at High Point University, and hopefully a future MLB draft pick. I think he will be. He 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 sometimes tries to play it down a little bit. He will be. Though. All right, Kale, you got any final thoughts for us? Oh man, just stay safe. Definitely, you know, stay out of that snow. Stay warm. Trying to, man. Hey, you want to know another fun fact before we wrap up? Haven't turned on my heat all winter. Wow. I live on the second floor. Heat rises. That's a story. Ah, there you go. That's a story we'll tell in the next podcast. Episode 21, who will it be with? I don't know. You'll have to listen. Episode 20, though, my good friend Kel Chatham, D3 defect, as we'll call him, up to D1. And now, now, future, I think, MLB draft pick. Kel Chatham, my good friend. And High Point University Panther, this has been episode 20 of the Where Else Would You Rather Be podcast. I'm Brett Loftus telling you, until next time, where else would you rather be?